Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Guys, as we've been looking forward to for a very long time, today we are finally diving into Ten of Swords with Ten of Swords Creation Number 1, written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard, artist Pepe Larraz, color artist Marte Gracia, letter VCs Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller, and cover art by Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia. Mutant Kind has a new home, Krakoa, an island where the past is left behind and the future is free of fear. From life-saving medications to the miracle of resurrection, the Krakoan nation represents promise and possibility for its people. But nothing is new. No past completely erased. No future without a dark cloud in its horizon. Memory is long. History is longer. And truth will outlast both. And for any mid-2000s Saturday Night Live fans, I'm going to go with a Stefan reference for you and say that this issue has everything. Original horsemen, position of the kingdoms of Otherworld, Banshee dying. This issue was dense. Dense to say the least. Uh, we see also in the beginning a rehash of Free Comic Book Day X-Men number one with the tarot reading with additional text that we covered last week in the second chat for our 151st episode, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this was... Yup, 151! Very... New. Like, like new... Uh, this was a very exciting issue and definitely holds a lot of promise for what's to come. This issue gave me two things that like swelled my soul with joy. Number one, everyone was talking about it before I got a chance to read it. And I, I was just so fucking excited to see this part where everybody was like, X Twitter was just like, X spoilers. I really fucking hate the summoner now. And like, I was really desperate to get to it. And that moment where he turns around in the memory, the only way I can describe it is, did summon baby do a naughty? <laughs> and like, <laughs> it is the best panel I have ever seen in my life. It was amazing. The fact that the, the, the crux of this story is what have we wrought by putting our trust in a monster? Like, that's, that's the heart of this. The X-Men became so desperate that they tried something that they maybe knew they shouldn't have. And they just kept going further into it. And we've been seeing shades of it. You know, that's part of what made, my, my, made this such a fulfilling experience for me. Whether it's in the pages of Marauders, New Mutants, X-Men, X-Force, or any of the other amazing titles that Hox Pox Docs has been delivering, one thing stands out, and that there's almost always someone going, yeah, at what cost, though, guys? And then somebody else goes, no, this is the cost, it's fine. And that one's usually Beast, but there's always somebody saying, guys, at what fucking cost? And we finally saw those words come from Magneto, and like, I was getting worried about Eric. Yeah, Magneto in this issue was interesting, where usually he, I usually associate him with being the manipulator, with being in on the action, with wanting to control what's going on. But he seems to be taking a step back almost and just waiting and watching. 
I mean, he has to know that he's the first, last, and best defense against the worst scum of the universe. And think of the thumbers of the past. Adjust the ba- I don't know all of the words to any Will Smith song, so I'm just going to do them all. Um, but no, I agree. You know, and Evelyn, I know that you are our newest recruit, but of course, there has never, ever been a new member of the X-Men that didn't matter. So we're so, so thrilled to have you here. But these two gentlemen have been two of our loudest, strongest, hardest Magneto stands <laughs> of the entire run. Guys, how have you felt about the transformation of Magneto? Magneto from soldier again back to general as a person who could say to Apocalypse, uh, 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 now we got probs, brah. It's exactly where he is poised to be. It is exactly the position that is that is designed for Magneto and anything less is an assassination on the character. Jonah, tell me, how do you feel about Mr. Magnus and his great compass point toward the betterment of mutant kind finally again? Okay. Now, and this is really a question, I think, for, you know, because it's so hard when you think about your era of ex-teens. There's the ones you grew up with. There's the ones you came of age with. There's the ones that you look on as, like, I don't want to get emotional, but I remember the first time I thought of a group of X-Men as, like, my kids. Like, as now I'm the dad, and I have to protect these children. And we might even have a New York Comic-Con panel coming up about that exact topic, about how the generations of X-Men affect us, and how it changes who we are. When Rock's Live was created he was a bad joke he was literally just a pun and a muscular teen made of rocks like he was the thing that was pretty much it and he went from the thing to a character with heart and development it is such a testament to who the x-men are and the writing staff of the x-men they were able to take a joke and make his death a center point of the series i am now more afraid for glob than ever but there is something about the redemption and the destruction of Rockslide all coming in terms of a book called Creation that has sort of left me shaken. I feel like I'm rhyming. This is awful. When did I become Sondheim? <laughs> but now, Maddie, you loved Rockslide from the get. Jonah, I think Rockslide is actually supposed to be your age. And Evelyn, you, like me, so connect to these kids as a school. We've been on panels about this before. The school is who we are. Guys, Rockslide went from the class clown to a sense of redemption. And now he's taken from us. Discuss. It was heartbreaking. I will say that. I really, really liked him. And I liked the progression that he was getting and the character development and the fact that he was going to be part of uh, Ten of Swords. Like, yes, let's see more of him. Let's get this. And the fact that he was just cut in half, like almost immediately, like shook me a bit. You know, I will say that as we looked at last week, the changes between Free Comic Book Day, X-Men number one, and Creation number one, specifically the Hangman Tarot card, replaced Glob Herman, as Nico had just said, who he's concerned for, with Rockslide in the central figure slot. And I think that I, too, am a little concerned for Glob Herman. I'm a little... Uh, upset that Glob might have been the man to be on the chopping block first, and I think that would have devastated New Mutants readers. But as far as Rockslide goes, as a as a fan of Academy X, as a fan of the the Hellions from the Reload, it is definitely sad to see him go. As as for his future, we'll discuss that in the upcoming uh, X Factor number four. But I definitely was shocked, to say the least. Not shocked to see the Summoner's betrayal, but shocked at the finality of it. Summon baby did a naughty. Summon baby did did a naughty. He did. Did do a naughty. I, when the issue came out with Annalie, Loa, and Rockslide, I was like, oh, cool. I only know Annalie because I know he's a gay X-Man. 
That's about it. I have no idea who these other characters are. Let's give (laughs) He's got gay green. (laughs) And I thought his name was Anal for a very for a little while until (laughs) Nico was like, no, it's Annally. And I said, well, if he's gonna be gay and that's his name, nailed it. That being said, I was just I was a little upset that he got, you know, betrayed by someone who he apparently developed this very close bond with after playing the game of weaknesses which I guess has a different meaning now. Yep. Uh, and then his resurrection process was interesting. And I actually kind of wanted more of this other rock slide. And well, here's the thing that, wow, wow, Jonah, wow, wow, wow. This is why I love talking to you guys. Jonah, you just said he sort of developed this avuncular relationship with the summoner. I'm projecting that it was avuncular and not creepy get in my van. And who wouldn't want that? Like, when I think about Evelyn's favorite, most amazing, most incredible X-Woman ever, Kate Pride, my first thought is, Kate set up an incredible precedent where an older X-Man protects you and shapes you and molds you, and not in a grooming way, but in a helps you find who you're meant to be in a scary world kind of way. It doesn't shock me that Rockslide would have been looking for that anywhere he could get it with all he's been through. How many of his classmates were blown up on buses? Like, it is so significant that... Richter would be looking for that from Apocalypse. Everybody's just looking for their Wolvie. And I think whether it's being the Wolvie or being the Kate, I think what Rockslide was looking for from Summon Baby was really, really reasonable and really beautiful. Rockslide is being punished for wanting love in an age of love. And... <sighs> that's really well said. That's actually, that's really what's gut-wrenching about this issue. And I just, I wouldn't have gotten there without your guys' amazing insight. Like, oh man, and I, I too kind of hate that I love evil rock slide. A little. Well, he's not evil, but... One thing about this issue that I, I see getting very little discussion is probably what raised the most questions for me, which would be the Cable, Gene, Scott storyline, bringing the Trans Space Bridge back online, which is revealed to be S.W.O.R.D., uh, sword, of course, in this case, standing for, nope, not stated. Never mind. Um, but th- in, in either case, how do we think that this orbital space station, this orbital, presumably trans, trans-dimensionally observed space station is going to be centered in Ten of Swords? Do we think that this is the new access point for Otherworld? Do we think that this is strictly an, an observatory deck? What was the purpose of bringing a trans-space bridge back online for a trans-dimensional story? Well, I know that for people who aren't as familiar with S.W.O.R.D., S.W.O.R.D. is a branch of S.H.I.E.L.D., or it was at one point a branch of S.H.I.E.L.D., led by the breathtaking, the amazing, the only other ex-lady with green hair that can get away with it, Abigail Brand, who was a longtime love interest of Beast. This was all introduced in the pages of Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. She would go on to get her own series— Written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Steve Sanders, which, actually, funny story, at that point in Uncanny X-Men, Matt Fraction was about to make Beast look like an ape again instead of a cat, and then he saw the sketches for Sanders' sword book and said, I can't do that to him. These are the best sketches of his career. And instead, two years later, Bendis further evolved Beast into a monster, and that's how we have current Beast somehow. So... Uh, I'm a big fan of of S.W.O.R.D. I'm a big fan of Abigail Brand. I'm a big fan of more strong women in the Marvel Universe. It's Al Ewing, who we just celebrated the fuck out of for some of his contributions to Empire. 
and Cable's going to be in it. Magneto's going to be in it. I think that they're saying that the Krakoan Empire reaches to space. Well, and that's confirmed by the, the announcement of the upcoming X-Led Swordbook, which should be spinning right out of the events of Ten of Swords, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they've said December, yeah. Now, Jonah, Jonah, I know you don't have any experience with Abby yet, but had you had a chance, Evelyn, to read any of the Sword or Abigail Brand stuff? I have read a little bit, but not a lot of it. I'm I'm passingly familiar with her. From the small stuff I've read, I really like her a lot. Because I'm a big S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, so I, I read a little bit of Sword coming out of it. Ugh, Contessa forever. So, now, Jonah, you have, you've been such a good guy about, okay, well, Nico loves Cable, so I'm going to keep giving Cable a try. Uh, just please pick an identity for the fucking guy. And now he's running around X-Men. Sometimes he's in Fallen Angels. Uh, he's now going to space. I, I actually kind of think in some ways Spaceman is one of the last frontiers for Cable. Does the idea of Cable getting involved with this sword title and the X-Men going to space, does that mess with your appreciation of the character, or are you just along for this ride with him? I'm just along for the ride for this. I think Cable being involved with his sword that they've been setting up, that he's, you know, kind of a little weapon happy, I appreciate it. <laughs> and I'm kind of excited to see how Kid Cable is going to interact with this huge battle that's coming up. Battle, you say? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure this is a contest? This is... A contest of champions? Yeah, it's this is actually in a grand tradition of some of the best Marvel stories, and frankly, some of the tougher Marvel stories. I'm not seeing this as contest of champions, though, and this is a shout-out to my brother in Chi, Maddie, but this feels so much to me like an otherworldly inversion of the seven capital cities of heaven? Yes. I'm expecting someone to fall off of a mountain screaming, There's an eighth Krakoa! I can only hope. I absolutely love Matt Fraction's run on Immortal Iron Fist. I almost said Immortal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and that's not a thing, because that's eternal, and that's a film. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Eternals is a film that will be coming out in 2021. Oh, Christ, <laughs> it is. No, I. You know what? I can. I can only hope if Ten of Swords is is a fraction of how good Immortal Iron Fist was. We're in for quite a ride. Do you guys have any bets going into this championing ning ning ning? Other than that, we all are. I mean, my body is ready to love Pogger Pog. My soul is ready to love Pogger Pog. Um. I want him to be my pog, my pog. So what are your guys' best guesses? How do you, do you think some X-Men are going to win? Some X-Men are going to lose? No matter who wins or who loses, do we all win because we get to read it? How do you guys feel about the creation of the champions? Not the champions, but these champions. So I was just going to say that I am really ready to meet the other champions, the other sword barrows. Like some of the names just sound like really, really cool, especially the seducer. Let me see that. <laughs> I'm curious what these other ones are going to be because, I mean, obviously in creation, before reading X Factor, I was trying so hard to guess who these other sword uh the sword bearers were going to be, but I have no idea about this other side, and I'm so curious to see who they are. Pogger Pog for president. Pogger Pog for president, to be honest. You know, I, I'm looking at it here. I'm looking at the original Beware the Sword Bearers of Morocco, and for once I haven't called it the Sword Breakers of Morocco, so I'm going to pat myself on the back. Good pat, good, good pat. Good pat, good pat. 
I am, of course, because he looks like a giant piece of Swiss shard, I'm looking forward to Redwood the Forest. Um, I really hope he sticks around for a very long time. He's a walking vegetable. The fact that he isn't getting more Groot-like fan love is absolutely beyond me. But outside of the original Four Horsemen, who are presumed at least to be some of... It, well, at least War, Death, Bay the Blood Moon, going by Bay the Blood Moon, are appearing of the Horsemen. Uh, I think I would say the one that I'm least excited for, if I can pivot away from the original question, is Solemn, because I don't quite know how she's Wolverine's arch nemesis yet, and I don't know that anything that comes of that will be consequential, and I don't so much know that I'm going to care. Does that track? Yeah, like, you're just not sure, like... That's something that we, we can't help, but we have gut reactions to in terms of a response to fiction. And there's just nothing about her that tickles your fancy. Well, you know, and it's it's a little bit more that it's a bold statement to say that she's the arch nemesis of Wolverine. Because I think the, the whole thing about Wolverine is that he has a myriad of enemies and a myriad of, of hierarchical enemies. But I don't know that there is one. It, it, Wolverine's arch nemesis is himself. I feel like, and anything to the contrary is a disservice to the character. It feels like sensationalism, like trying to make this character a big deal from the get-go. And I hope it doesn't disappoint. But I agree that it's probably not going to be really important in the grand scheme of things years down the road. I didn't even think of... This is where it was going. I wasn't expecting the summoner betrayal. I wasn't expecting there to be basically a contest of champions, if you will, of sword fighting. But I was really interested in the names of all the swords because some of them sound like badass, edgy sword names. And then you get others like Grass Cutter. That's just like, what? <laughs> There's snakes in the grass, Jonah. It's time to cut the lawn. Um, there's a, there's a snake in these boots, I think. I, I was just, and yeah, just very confused. <laughs> moving into creation. Now we're into the, the big story. Chapter one, X of Swords. And there are so many ways that we could start talking about this. I wanted just your, your first take. What's like, if you could only say one thing about creation, Nathan, if you could only say one thing about creation, what would be the first thing you wanted to say? that it's just a legendary epic kind of opening and I'm really wanting to see what's going to come out of it not what I expected rod i would say it's exactly what i wanted i've been like unlike y'all i'm very um into magic especially i want magic to be with the mutants and i feel like we're going to get this from here on out and i'm so excited about it especially for everything coming so yes exactly what i wanted one thing <laughs> arturo I am in love. Uh, it's, this to me felt, feels so fresh and new and unexpected. I'm, I'm thrilled that they're not fighting aliens. I'm, I'm thrilled that they're not fighting, you know, uh, crazy robots. Uh, or plant people. God knows we've had our share of plant people in 2020. <laughs> I love this. This feels so different and 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 epic. Like it feels like we're living in so many levels through history right now. And it's nice that part of that is is we're living through X Men history right now. Absolutely. What about you, Kyle? Oh boy, this this was like taking everything that we've been reading in the over the last y year and 
connecting it all together and it's just like holy crap this is this is what this is all about and i mean the art everything the the story the actions of the characters it just like got me super excited for to see what happens next so i gotta say my one big one big thing that i think i came off of this and like i finished this book and i knew right away like this was something i have to read multiple times like there was so much in there but my brain is like wired to recognize three act stories and in a way it kind of reminded me of the first issue of rosenberg's multiple man in the sense that so much stuff happened that like i looked ahead and at like the remaining issues and i'm like i have no idea what the trajectory of this story is or where it goes based on how much and everything that i got just in this first issue like yeah if this yeah. is part one of 22 like what it has set up like the trajectory from how this was launched is not 22 issues and that's not to say that like there's going to be filler or other things but that's just to say that like there are so many story openings and progressions and beats that like, like I can't even, I have no idea where this is going or what type of story or resolution we're looking for based on how big it is and what we saw here. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, uh, you're on, on every, every point you're a hundred percent right. There's so much going on and it just feels so huge uh, that, yeah, I, I have no idea where it's going. I, I think it's easy to, to think, uh, oh, this is going to be like, you know, contest of champions and we're just going to like smash, you know, have a tournament now. And no, but there's there's going to be so much like that's that's that to me seems almost like a ruse. <laughs> like, yeah, there is going to be a tournament, but there's going to be so much more happening. And and we've already we're already seeing it there. There are consequences. There are high stakes. Mm-hmm. This isn't. You know, the big criticism, I'd say, for the last year and a half or whatever of, of, of X-Men has been, oh, you know, nothing matters anymore. You know, nobody can die. And, you know, that, I think, is a very oversimplified way of looking at it because, yeah, that, that may be true. But as we've seen other titles explore already, it's, you no know, people can die. It's just that they can come back now and it's more complicated. And, and we're already seeing here with this event uh the rules have changed you know the the the, the resurrection protocols are are definitely a, definitely a fragile system and and uh it's just it's cool that we're we're getting into this marvel's always played fast and loose with what can't die means i i can remember i think one of the most frustrated i've ever been with it was deadpool kills the marvel universe where like sue storm put a little bubble in Deadpool's brain and blew it up and like just exploded his whole brain and body and stuff all over the place. And then like he was a Deadpool again, three minutes later, sneaking up behind her. And they've always just, you know, like what that means in throughout varying comics of who can die. This person can't die. Shock, they died. But yeah, I I was a little surprised that, you know, we're kind of throwing that out the window as early as we are. And that's not really in creation. That's more to come in X Factor. But um you know, that we're changing the idea of what can't die means here. There are deeper levels to everything we've learned. Like this isn't things are getting thrown out. This is we're gaining deeper understanding of what that means, which, you know, Hickman and the whole X crew has been really good at. Personally, Excalibur was not one of my favorite books throughout most of Docs, like the first 12 issues. Issue 12, I had mentioned when we talked about it on here, really tied a lot of things together. 
And after reading the Captain Britain and these first two issues, I went back and were reading the first couple issues of Excalibur again yesterday. And there, it is there. Like, I think one of the things is um, that I didn't like was I wasn't sure where it was going and what it was doing. But now that I know, like now that all of that has been cleared up, I go back and I mean, it's there from the very first issue with Apocalypse trying to make his ex in a circle and saying he needs to find the champion that's going to be the one to, you know, make the gate that winds up being Richter that we see in Excalibur 12. And what's the next thing he does? He goes and finds Richter in Excalibur issue two. Like it was all lined up very, very particular to get us to where we are. And I have a much deeper appreciation of that story I read from where we're at now. Yeah. I mean, Tammy Howard did say that she had a whole plan going. And I feel like a lot of us didn't really like not not believe her. But we're just like, sure, but when is it going to come to realization? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it might have been just a little misdirection. Like a lot of us were looking at Betsy like, okay, so like Betsy's going to be this or but what plan or, you know, she wasn't hiding it. You know, she was giving us Apocalypse Grimoire pages. I mean, she was putting in his dialogue all along. But I mean, Apocalypse was the major scene-setting player of those first 12 issues of Excalibur. Oh, definitely. Okay, so let's... I I have a whole list. I have like 142 things (laughs) we can talk about from creation. (laughs) Yes. If we're going to talk about sword bearers, I have them right here. We have 10 swords. This is actually my last of 142 notes, but whatever. Like I said, they're not really hiding anything from us. Like, I think that's one of the things and like one of the things I feel from the tarot, like any of these tarot cards we don't understand now, there's going to be a point like a month from now where we look at it and we're like, oh my God, it was right there on the four (laughs) of cups. Like, So one thing that I thought was really cool, you guys saw the thing with the hangman card, the swap of the characters, right? So Apocalypse is in it, Beast is in it, Havoc is in it. You know, there's, there's some that are in it, but Banshee had first been teased as being Siren. Or vice versa. I'm sorry. Yeah. Siren was first as Banshee, and uh, and the probably the most notable here is swapping mm-hmm. Glob Herman for Rockslide. Now, now, does anyone here? What are the opinions on that Glob Rockslide swap? Like, because the two prevailing opinions I've seen on Twitter are that it was a fake out, or that it was an editorial change. I think it's uh, an editorial change. Uh, I think that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If they did. S- they did state that um, Free Comic Book Day was written so far in advance that they hadn't had the full story of X of Swords written at that time. I was joking on Twitter during the week, like, this is why Ed Brisson's not on uh, the X-Books, that Vita's taken over New Mutants, that I could see the whole glob changing to Rockslide being some crazy standoff with Ed Brisson having a huge <laughs> breakdown in the middle of the X-Room, like, refusing, chicken boy. refusing to yeah. allow glob to die. <laughs> well, can, can you imagine if, if it had been? Because, I mean, I, I felt it when, when Rockslide gets cut in half. You feel that. Like, it was like, oh, shit, because I know that this guy knows his secret and his weaknesses. It didn't mm-hmm. hit like, oh, he just he just got hurt. He's going to be okay. You felt that. Mm-hmm. Imagine if that panel was him cutting Glob Herman in half. The fandom would have just died. People would have lost their damn minds. Glob Herman has become Glob such is a, our like, boy. He's such a, like... <laughs> 
cult, you know, <laughs> icon at this point for, for he's like the ex-Twitter mascot. I think they're aware of that. And I think if there was ever talk of Killing Glob, they said, no, maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah, I think that was a good choice. Because, I mean, I like Rot Slide, but he definitely needs, I think, more character development. And I feel like they could have given that to him. But now they're like, well, let's just make him a new Rock Slide. And I'm kind of okay with that. Because I'd rather have Glob. <laughs> Honestly, if we're choosing, I'd rather have Glob. No, Glob is Glob is a fixture yeah. now. Glob can't you can't lose Glob, the Globert. Yeah, we love Glob, but I gotta say I'm sad about Rockslide mostly because of how I imagine it's going to really hurt Annalie. Mm. You know that was his boy. Mm, that yeah. they were like, oh, yeah. like true, you know, true best friends, and that was my first thought was like. Which could be a fun story, seeing, you know, Annalie and this new Rockslide. Well, I'm jumping ahead, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Is this the first time we've seen Krakoa really, like, be his own character? Like, when he put down his foot and it was like, no, the gate stays open, though? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that was crazy. Yeah, that was that was uh, really surprising. I wasn't expecting him to want to have that gate open. Yeah, no, I was like, whoa. I was like, he's not just an island. That's right. He's alive. <laughs> I like how it emphasized Apocalypse's place in this because we saw, and this has been, this is probably the most humanized I think we've ever seen Apocalypse. Um, and we've seen Apocalypse going through some shit. Like this is Apocalypse's 2020. Um, because, you know, we see, <laughs> oh, no. we see him at varying points in this story. Like we see him looking humbled and old. Like, we see him fall to his knees. And, I mean, this is someone who would routinely chastise any mutant for showing weakness or deference that they are not the greatest or the best. Like, to make him hit his knees is is something, like, that is a clear choice by Hickman and Howard here in the way that they wrote him. And yet, at another time, we see Krakoa coming in, and Apocalypse knew it. Like, Apocalypse's relationship with Krakoa, like, he knew going into that council chamber that even if he has 11 council members voting against him, Krakoa had his back. He had that ace in the hole and he was waiting for it. And he said it so much like Magneto accused him. You knew this would happen. And he's like, Krakoa and I want the same thing. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I love, I love that when he's talking to the council, I, I just love this era of Emma Frost so much. Let me just have a little <laughs> moment of appreciation for Emma Frost. I love that. Apocalypse lays this all out, and her immediate reaction is, then let's destroy it. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> Emma Frost is so fucking practical, and she she sees a problem, and she, Scarlet Witch is going crazy, let's kill her, right? Like, right. Grey's going Dark Phoenix, let's kill her. This gate is going to show bring all this chaos to our doorstep, destroy it. I just, I love her. Yes. Ooh, is this the first time we've seen Kate be actually in the council? Yeah, it was the first like, time. I'm trying to remember. No, she's she's shown up in the council, but not since her resurrection. Yeah, we had one and, little. Oh, okay, okay, there. okay. She was in one council meeting um, before, yeah. but this was like the first time we've seen her as like a real one of the twelve, like in the debates. With our gloves, I had her kill Shaw tattoo. <laughs> yes, yes, I loved that little detail. Yes. That that was such a great detail that they use those gloves to hold, to hide those tattoos. Those very impractical tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to hide. It's hard to hide what you want. 
I was gonna say I also love that they showed that Kate, uh, Storm, and Jean didn't vote for to destroy the gate because they're part of the main. Well, I, and I noticed that Kurt voted yes, but they're part of the main X Men team basically that says it's always like let's go fight this thing for the people, like let's sacrifice our own well being just so everyone else can be okay. You know, like there and everybody else. If you think about it, on the council is always for their own well being, except for Kurt. Because I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really know what his reason is. I guess it's so no one else on the island dies. He's probably looking for everybody else's well being. He doesn't want a war. He's very mm-hmm. passive. But everyone else is like, no, let's destroy this gate because I don't want to get involved. You know, I don't want to go help people. So let's just destroy this and ignore it. <laughs> so on that note, I mean, Kate Storm and Jean are the ones who have led teams of X Men and have been responsible for bringing people home and keeping their team safe. The other ones who have been leaders, Sinister, Apocalypse, Xavier, Magneto, have all shown the willingness to sacrifice someone along the way. Yep. Um, Mystique Uh. in that manner, Exodus, you know, everyone else on there, Shaw, like they've led things, um, but they've been willing to make sacrifices along the way. So I think that's a good point that those three, like those are the ones who definitely have that, you know, um, that more honorable mentality among them. So speaking on what why Krakoa didn't want to destroy the gate because I mean he wants the I forget the name but the other island is stuck Araka. in that Araka. yeah Araka is stuck in that other world and that's why he he wants the piece of himself back or his love or mm-hmm. the other piece of the island back like that's why and I mm-hmm. think Apocalypse like you said already knew that so Apocalypse was like well this is gonna happen either way because Krakoa the island that we're living on wants itself back I mean didn't we get that um that piece of knowledge back in like x-men number two or three i can't two. remember yeah where so, scott yeah. has to cover oh, yeah, yeah. baby cable's eyes because uh you know the islands are doing some naughty island things yeah <laughs> Which, i don't even know what that means anymore after this this map that we just got i don't even know what that means like well and that that always hits so weird to me because it felt like wait this is a this feels like it should be a big deal but it happens, and then, like, nothing really comes of it. You're like, okay, so I guess we just got, like, more parking lot space. You know what I mean? It, it just – it's cool <laughs> to see that now something's happening with it. Because, like, the only impact that's had so far is, oh, now it's Krakoa, but with a cool, you know, sick uh, volcano attached to it. That's pretty much all that's happened, you know? And now seeing this is like, okay, no, there's a lot going on. You know, and we also saw at the end of creation, like, all right, there's a lot of powerful people from a lot of powerful places and things like that, but Saturnine still runs shit. Like, Saturnine <laughs> came down and, you know, she's like, all right, cut it out, turned one of the horsemen into a chibi, you know, stop time in her whole realm, <laughs> throws everyone, like, like, she's like, like, all right, cut it out, and it all stopped. Like, so she's still well above and beyond power wise everyone else um but we oh, got yeah. a nice feel for everyone's place in the hierarchy here well yeah. for Ooh. now for now for now because as monet said before she mm-hmm. walked into the gate she said honestly feels like a job i might want down the road yes <laughs> but we know hickman loves monet so like that's one of his favorites so if he puts her in the league of power it's essentially what she deserves because she hasn't been in the main story in such a long time and she's never really been in the main event. And that that's like, takes me to another point that I would like, uh, that I have is like, think about how 
in this whole like beginning of this story and even in um X Factor, you have so many characters that are like side characters or not that like A-list characters that are the forefront of this event and like the usually like the for, the A characters are in the back like Gene and Cyclops they're not even in the forefront anymore. They were just side characters in this creation story. They were just they to were help just drinking people. coffee in their uniforms. Yeah, they're not even the big thing and that's why I really that's why I really loved about this. I'm like we get to see characters that we don't usually get to see actually make a big difference and actually show how their power can be used and greatly modified. I love that. When Apocalypse left the Krakoan Council, he did not have their support. He had to call for volunteers. So his volunteers, I thought there was some interesting symmetry and pairing to who his volunteers were. So we had Richter and Siren. We have Beast and Angel. We have Havoc and Polaris. And we have M and Rockslide. So these are our eight who go out into Otherworld as his volunteers to find the horsemen and, you know, all the shit that would come. I didn't so, even get that symmetry. They're all pulled from classic teams. We have the the new X Factor. We have the uh, the the classic five X Men. We have the Generation X. That's incredible. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Oh, <laughs> oh. so we have some pairs and relationships in there, and and there were some you know cool ways that they played together. Um, I think just just in story wise, you get some really good aspects of, you know, when these characters interact during it, there's history behind whatever happens. You know, any interaction Havoc and Polaris have, there's history behind it. Beast and Angel, Richter and Siren and so forth. Um, But yeah, you know, we're seeing a lot of characters that, you know, right now, you know, they bring a big team in to get this started. And it's not Cyclops and Wolverine. Which is a great change, honestly. Very good <laughs> direction they're going to. So I'm tired of seeing Cyclops and Wolverine in every story. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Our list of swords. So we have ten swords that were given to us to be born in the X of Swords tournament. We have Muramasa, the Sword of Might, the Starlight Sword, Grass Cutter, God Killer, Warlock, the Soul Sword, Scarab, the Light of Galador, and Skybreaker. There are a lot of swords that I am unfamiliar with. <laughs> uh, like I know that that Muramasa is is Wolverine's sword that he's been taking care of, and then you've got the Sword of Might, which is currently buried outside of the the lighthouse that Excalibur built. So, seeing the Starlight Sword, I'm assuming that that is Betsy's. Psy sword, which would kind of infer that both Betsy and Brian are going to be um involved. Which which has been hinted. I mean yes. I'm looking I'm looking at my variant cover right now and they're both holding swords on, on it. So I'm yes. like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I got real confused with God Killer. I, I mixed it up in my head with God Slayer, which is Gamora's sword. And at first I thought that like uh. someone was gonna have to go like find Gamora and get her sword from her. <laughs> which would have been totally cool. Like like someone real like Kitty Pride realizes like shit, I know that sword. That's Gamora's. We got to go find her and get her to lend it to us. But it's, no, God Killer. That's a different sword. So Warlock is a sword. A sword. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. That's what I was going to say. I was like, Warlock is a sword. How does that happen? Well, we saw him kind of uh, mm-hmm. take sword form in Giant Size Storm. 
Uh, I mean, he mm-hmm. he was mm. like full on suit with with Doug, but yeah. he also had the sword form. And when he was in that suit form, he was very creepy, uh, reminiscent of the phalanx. Uh, the phalanx that we saw back in in Powers, yeah, right. in House and Powers. Ooh, I didn't get that. I got that whole old when they used to merge back in New Mutants. So oh, that um, I didn't even yeah, think of. Fact. Yeah, he, and that scares me with the little, you know, the 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 prophecy that got prophecy. printed with Polaris when he says, "Uh, when that part of friends of friends lost." Out of one comes many, into many comes one. Mm-hmm. That kind of worries me because, mm-hmm. like, are is Warlock going to, you know, I mean, he is phalanx, right? It's it's like one of those things that it's like it's staring us right in the face, although nobody's talking about it yet. That's going to be a big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. And then, wait, because he's Technarchy, and then they made House of X made, it used to be where Technarchy was over, was where phalanx was a byproduct of technarchy infection but then they changed it where the phalanx is the superior form over the technarchy virus so yeah and i mean getting names of people when we can look at it and go okay wolverine's one iliana's one doug is one you know we're pretty sure betsy and brian are in here we know apocalypse is in here we know cable's in here yeah we think storm is in here somewhere we think gorgon's in here somewhere okay like looking through them but remember that there's no way the X-Men are going 10 and 0 in this fight. No. Like, yeah, no. No. And and now we know what happens when mutants die in other world. So, you know, this is also our list of people that we're going to lose for a little while. Like not that we're going to lose all of them, but we can lose up to 4 of them. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. That's I think Doug is actually I think he's going to die. Like no, no. I think I think legit. I mean, why else? That that makes you're the right. most sense. Why even would you put Doug in this unless you're planning to kill him and make make? <laughs> oh no, no. Which, like, and and, and he's not on the New Mutants no, afterwards. We lose after. your ability to communicate with Krakoa. Yeah, we lose our ability to create oh, Krakoa. Yeah. Even if he's reborn, he's not going to be the same. And then the what warlock ha- that's reborn. What universe? Yeah. Well, I don't know if they if. If I don't know if Warlock would die, but just Doug, because Warlock, I don't. Yeah. Well, Warlock's on the New Mutants afterwards, or supposedly. Yeah, so I don't know. Hey, this is maybe how we end up getting Doug Lock once and for all. He's just uh, an amalgam character going for who knows. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, that is maybe a prophecy too. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we'll get. I don't think we'll get exactly what happens in Hawkspox because that already happened. I think since Moira already experienced that she probably wouldn't let it happen but i think we'll get a different version of it yeah i mean does anyone feel like moira really like 100 percent has like a handle on everything that's going on here oh absolutely not absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not we did get our first moira sighting in a while in one panel of x factor when the uh cerebro helmets you had uh, some backlash, and she's looking at one like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I was, was the... that 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 panel made me really happy to see. Yes, yes. me too. Yeah, that I mean that whole that whole short circuit of the resurrection protocols. Let's get into that a little bit because that that freaked me out. You know, uh, this this you know we were saying it before this whole crossover is really raising the stakes in a big in a big way 
And it, this wasn't just about we lost Rockslide. I mean, this this shows us a clear present danger that if they keep doing this, they could really fuck shit up. Oh yeah, and I mean, I feel like with ex- like with creation, like I said, like I kind of expected a lot of it. Like it's a, it, it made me happy, but I expected it. With X Factor, this shocked me way more than creation. I didn't expect any of it. I didn't expect any of really this to happen. So I feel like they. They were really like swinging with this, making everybody, like you said earlier, so soon to make death a thing again in this event. It really puts everything in perspective and like, hey, you know, people are going to die. Maybe everyone will die and everyone will be new again, which is not happy for us. (laughs) Yeah, I would have thought that maybe we would have gotten a couple events or big things, you know, where the X-Men could go into them thinking they're invulnerable before, you know, they lost that edge. Not that it would have been the very first time out. But no, we got a a lot here in X-Factor. It was also very weird just seeing them, you know, talking about these protocols. Like, it was almost weird seeing them be responsible. Like, uh uh-oh, something went wrong. Okay, let's get rid of this batch of eggs. Let's do some quality control. Let's look at all five steps. Let's try to figure out before we do anything else. Like, you know, and then we'll make a new batch and we'll start fresh. Like, it just felt really weird and off because, like, when are these characters ever responsible about anything? The way that they are connected with Xavier Right, because when 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 Xavier when Xavier was knocked out, they were all knocked out. When Xavier woke up, they all came back online, and it was very like the Stepford Cuckoos, you know, where they're all speaking in unison. Uh, and I don't know. There's just it, it feels to me like there's something creepier going on with this whole story, and I don't feel like we're gonna get into that yet. No, because if Charles Xavier has the opportunity to fuck with someone's mind, we 100% know that he will. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. And it, honestly, it's not its not just them being connected with Xavier, because Xavier's died before and they were okay. But it's them being connected yeah. to um to the mainframe. Cerebro. Cerebro. Yeah. yeah, when Cerebro's yeah. down, they go down. So all their minds, they're a system. They are connected to Cerebro. Mm-hmm. The Cerebro helmets going down and the backlash is the thing that most concerned me moving forward with Resurrections. Like, that something happened to not one of them, but all of them at once. Like, and how is that going to affect or change? Like, that I feel like is a, ooh, we're going to call back to this or something's going to be, you know, screwy in the future. Yeah, that's a huge, huge vulnerability in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they don't have like a team protecting them. If one of them dies, how do you like? Well, let's say if Egg, you know, Gold Balls dies, and there's no more, you know, Gold Balls around, no more eggs around. Like, how do you reborn him? You can't. I I, I like to yeah. think I like to think Black Tom's doing a damn good job, uh, except for that time in X Force when Xavier got killed. And he's, you know, he's maintaining island security. So I, I like to feel like they're safe. They don't, they don't need, they don't need armed guards. They're like, they're in the Arbor Magna. They're safe. Mimic and Sync, I think, are supposed to be on backup in case one of them goes down and they need a copy, and that they try to keep extra eggs available so they have an egg if they need it for Fabio. I feel like that was all put out. That that was on like a big data page at some point. Um, I want to even say in Hoxpox. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then they send their back up to the vault to live for like 300 yeah. years. <laughs> they sure did. Also interesting that Apocalypse has all those pestilence marks on him because I didn't know that Horseman Powers worked on him. 
Maybe because they're his children, so they have some kind of way through his protection. Yeah, and I think it's because it affected Richter, and he's connected to Richter. So I think maybe... That could be too. Yeah, maybe if he was um, hit by the arrow himself, it wouldn't affect him, but because it's affecting Richter, it affects him. So Apocalypse and Richter go to the healing gardens. Um, rough day in the office for the healer. Um, Which I didn't I didn't get that. I didn't get why Apocalypse was going all Darth Vader on healer. <laughs> because healer was going <laughs> healer, to allow... She was his boyfriend died. <laughs> healer was triaging and was going to allow Richter to die and be reborn. And Richter is explicitly Apocalypse's champion. Apocalypse has, like, when you go back and read, this is what I was saying, like, reading back in Excalibur, like, the first six issues with his grimoire pages, like, Apocalypse sought him out to be a source of power, to be central to his plan. Like, Richter is a very, very powerful, important piece in what Apocalypse is doing. And also, you know, it's, (laughs) Apocalypse is going through some things, like, Apocalypse stuff going killing on. the healer, killing the healer to own the libs. <laughs> yes, I saw that. <laughs> I was gonna say one of the things I really loved Saturnine. Yeah, when she destroyed the gate and Kokoa like made a whole earthquake and was so mad, and Doug is like, "Okay, okay, we get it. Calm down. Don't throw a fit." I was like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> so awesome." I like we're getting characterization more and more for Kakoa, and I love it. I love seeing Polaris get this highlight, and this wasn't David Baldion. Carlos Gomez, incredible! Like not, it wasn't a jarring change from Baldion, but it is different. Uh, and I, I, as much as I love the Baldion uh, outfits for X Factor, I love seeing Polaris in this classic Polaris look. Um, it's just so cool to see her getting she's playing a big role in this and she even says it she's like wait how am i supposed to she's like i'm not Mm -hmm. a sorceress you know i'm not a telepath well Uh, i think it's it's cool too that like they have their uniforms like she has what she wears when she's investigating and she has what she wears when she's you know going in battle yeah yeah on the war yeah her war outfit (laughs) yeah because because they didn't take away rachel's x-factor uh, outfit. She's still wearing that. So it's definitely a war uniform. Yeah. Yeah. I see it as her. That's what she wears when she's representing the House of Magnus. You know, that's like her. Yeah. Her, her royal attire. Ooh, I love that. Right. So I want to say about Polaris um, and the way Leah Williams wrote her, which this is not the first time that I have uttered the words, Leah Williams writes her so good. Like that is something that I feel like I've said many times because Leah just gets some of these characters on on a whole nother level. Like Leah's explanation of characters makes me open my eyes and realize there were things that I hadn't seen about them before. Um, she's so good at this. And I think my favorite part was the way that she played with the fact that Polaris has been a poorly written character over the years. Yes. Um, Which is something that she'd already started doing in the first three issues of Excalibur. You know, Polaris talking about how, you know, the different versions of herself and how that one where she's, you know, timid and weak, you know, and uh, has no voice is the worst version of herself. And that's what she feels like right now. You know, calling back to all of the bad characterizations and shitty male writers who have done nothing with Polaris in the past except make her someone else's 
girlfriend or sexy crazy girlfriend or sexy lamp like and making it a real part of who she is as like a real character was so well done um and made me it was just so nice reading it yeah and that's what i love about this whole era is like so many characters that we wish were written better or we just wish got the spotlight more are finally getting that like we we all want emma to be the teacher again and we got a hint of that in the beginning of hawks pox when she said she'll come back for the kids and then we see this and i'm like this is quintessential emma and then now we're finally like polaris is one of our favorite all-time characters it's always got like the shit kicked out of her and now she's finally like leading event like she's the oracle she's the one that's putting all this together for the whole of the mutant kind and that's that's great i'm glad she's finally getting like a big spotlight like she deserves it like all these characters we need more characters like that we have so many mutants that can get highlighted that they should like i wish i wish wolverine wasn't even in the top 10 people that was gonna fight but i get it because he's a big character and he's always has a lot of swords so they need to put him in there but I wish it was even more, more um, not front and center mutants getting into the well, ten of swords. Nico's not in the room with us, so I think I can pretty clearly <laughs> say that anyone in this room, um, if we had to make our list of the ten X characters we would want to be the sword bearers, Wolverine wouldn't make any of our lists. No, no. <laughs> he's overused. Like the character is all right, but he's just. Well, honestly, in my opinion, I think you should have stayed dead, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they Wolverine's not even in. She's in the vault now. I know. Who's this Wolverine? Yeah. I'm I'm excited for Manifold to be a part of it again, because I was hoping he was going to make a show in Krakoa at some point. He's Gateway's grandson. He was a big part in the recent uh, Black Panther run, if anyone read it. Uh, I did. I loved it. But, um... But yeah, he's he's awesome. He can teleport basically anywhere. He can teleport big ships anywhere. Like he's very powerful. He was a big player in uh, Hickman's Infinity as well, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So is he like Lila Cheney, like with like even more amplified powers, almost, or uh, like back scale teleporting? Kind of. I mean, yeah. he's essentially Gateway, but he's able to bring. He basically opens huge portals that you could like fly ships through or bring um, whole teams of people like very easily. He's he's your um, we need to get a whole bunch of stuff somewhere real quick. So we'll use this character as our teleporter. Yeah, I mean, he, and okay, he, he uses his disc kind of like magic, but he can use it better than magic. Yeah, like, well, magic uses them like weapons, too, though, which is like. Especially after what we saw in Rosencanny. Like, I feel like magic is going to be the quickest fight in the, the arena in the fight of 10. Like, Most I feel likely. like she's just going to stepping disc, cut someone's head off and be done, like, without even breaking a sweat. Um, <laughs> also, I just think Ileana is totally badass. So, Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Rod, looking ahead, what are you most excited for or think is coming next in well, X of Swords? Well, two things that I'm really excited about. I'm excited about next week because we get the Marauders uh, issue, and that's all about Storm going to Wakanda for the first time since she's been Krakoa. Well, that we've seen in in these issues anyway. And um, her getting a new sword, Stormbreaker. I mean, Skybreaker. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. Like, I really want to know the origins of that sword and its Wakandan origins and all that. And then... 
in Exosword status. I want to see who that person in the middle is. That I want. That's a mystery that they've given us. And I'm like, who is that? That that is somebody that we know because they get they they put it as a mystery for a reason. So it's gonna shock yes. us, and I want to know who that is. I'm so excited to know. Very cool, Arturo. What are you excited for looking ahead? Listen, I'm a simple man. I'm excited for Pog Your Pog. <laughs> I'm very excited. Very excited for Iskadom Beaten. Uh, I mean, the, right there, those are just two characters that just based on design alone. It, it's been cool to see how everybody's freaking out about them. Uh, so, you know, I'm simple. I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see our villains kind of fleshed out a bit. Um, that, you know, that that was like one of my big criticisms from the uh, the recent Empire thing, right? It felt like every all the bad guys were just tree, you know, mulch. It didn't feel like anybody had had substance. These, you know, sword breakers seem, uh, or sword bearers rather, uh, of Araco seem like they're going to each have their own story, their own vibe. Their own, I, I just, I'm really looking forward to seeing the villains uh, and and just changing the status quo here. This is this is definitely a big shift. Nathan, I am probably most excited. Two things: one, I gotta, I really gotta know what Moira's role in this is gonna be because, like you said, Hickman doesn't put anything in for no reason. So if she showed up on a panel, she's got to have some kind of role. And then two, I just Doug's got to make it out. Oh my gosh! But this the prophecy's got me worried. So, uh, friend self lost. Or wait, friend self, friends lost. Out of one comes many, into many comes one. I'm like, no. Are they going to make him be like a other world composite? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kyle, what are you looking uh, forward to? I'm going to echo Storm's trip to Wakanda. I feel yes. like we haven't really gotten a lot of uh, story focusing specifically on her other than the, the giant size uh, stories. So it'll be nice to have that. Uh, come up uh on top of that let's see i just really want to learn more about the villains uh i i don't feel like we have enough yet to really understand their full motivation and yeah i i I guess that's that's pretty much what i'm excited for so far cool yeah i gotta say some of the villains and, and i don't know if they're villains uh but Iska and Genesis, I am very excited to see them. I hope that I've I've read some things or I've seen some people have ideas about um, Iska, the one who cannot be beaten and how important she could be to Moira and Moira's plans, knowing that the mutants always lose. The possibility for some of these powerful female characters in this working together or against each other or where those stories could go between Moira, Iska, Genesis, Annihilation, and so forth. I, I'm really, really excited for. Moving on over to chapter two of Ten of Swords today, guys, we have X Factor number four, written by Leah Williams, with artist Carlos Gomez, color artist Israel Silva, letterer VC's Joe Caramagna, with design by Tom Muller, and cover art by Ivan Chavrin. A demon horde from an evil earth, with Apocalypse's original horsemen at their fore, 
have their sights set on the destruction of Krakoa, but to reach it, they must cross through Otherworld, the seat of power for Obaluna Saturnine. When the X-Men arrived to fight, she stopped the combat to negotiate a tournament between the champions of Krakoa and the foes from Morocco. The winner takes Krakoa. Now the only clue to the nature of the tournament is hidden in Polaris's mind, and the X-Men retreating from the battle in Otherworld are reeling. And I'll be the first one to say it, I'm so happy that they solved the prophecy for us because I literally, halfway through the issue, started, like, taking notes about it. <laughs> I, I literally sat through Polaris's original uh, iteration of the prophecy going, all right, who's this? Who's this? This has to be Wolverine. This has to be... And by the time I finished the issue, I felt like such an asshole because they just solved everything for us in the interest of of, of clarity, uh, which I, did the I same appreciate thing. more than anything. Did you really? Okay, I'm I just did. glad I'm not alone. I sat there. I'm like, okay, uh, this has to be Storm. Um, um, for the first one, I was thinking Mora, and I was like, oh, no, of course it's magic. Um, <laughs> it, I was so wrong on some of my predictions. There were some that I like. I think were when you read them, you're like, okay, yeah, Ileana was captured at eight, was captured at six, then she became fourteen instantly in six seconds. So yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a, a young man born old, Cable. But one of them, there were a couple that I was like, I don't know. I think this could apply to multiple people. Like out of one, uh, out of one comes many, into many comes one. I thought that was Jamie. I thought that was Madrox. So I was like. That makes sense. He's oh. multiple man. Multiple yeah. People come out of him, and then they all got to go back into him. Uh, and then from the womb came two. Like, it makes sense that it's Betsy and um, Brian, but I was like, oh, it's Charles because of Cassandra Nova. No, if I got if I, do you think I would have let you guys talk this long if Cassie was involved? <laughs> but like, there's also. So there's supposed to be 10 champions, right? I'm not going crazy. There's supposed to be 10 of them? Yes. That's what we've yeah. been told? Uh, there's there's only eight that they solved and talk about. So, okay, I have a response for that. Because I looked it up because I was curious. And there's a lot of speculation online that um, with the number six one with Betsy, because um, it could also be referring to uh, to her brother, but also the, uh, the Psylocke as well. Like the whole identity of Psylocke that... that... Ooh, with like Quanon and the fusion. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of speculation about that. And as soon as I saw that online, I'm like, yes, I'm on board with this theory well and and let's not forget too that uh betsy's prediction is one for betsy and brian so that from eight prophecies puts us at nine with the inclusion of psylocke would be 10 so okay. that's that's not a bad way to round that out for me like i'm not gonna argue that i'm pretty for it to talk about predictions and prophecies for a moment i had made a pretty bold prediction as hoxpox docs was transitioning into the zoss of it all i had said i wonder if there's going to be some sort of black egg dark resurrection process and uh what here it is are we like so is it that drawing the spirit i guess of a mutant back to krakoa brings fibers of the wrong world with it like what a dynamic fearful thing to say Oh, truly terrifying. The thought that dying in Otherworld means that Cerebro cannot distinguish between yourself and the many selves of your interdimensional being is horrifying. Absolutely horrifying and and represented beautifully in the art and the resurrection of Rockslide. Nothing about Rockslide looked like his original form. Yet you knew it was Rockslide to look at it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. for sure. Guys, talk about weird resurrections. So into this 
for me, I thought I was I wasn't on board completely with people being able to be resurrected because I, that's something that I've always been critical about comics with is it's like no one ever just stays dead for at least a while. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. They don't want people to die. But now that we have these stakes are back, I like I like having these hard stakes, especially where psyche itself might be either a totally different person or a combination of different versions of you i like those stakes a lot you know i i definitely i definitely think that the raised stakes in talking about the finality of mutant death is definitely piques my interest again in a way that was sort of lost in the dawn of x era but i think it's a little bit limiting to see this scope of 10 mutants that might finally get the axe and part of me believes it'll be more than one and then the cynic in me shows up and says okay well how many months will it be until they're resurrected somehow now evelyn once again i love that you're the newest voice on our show and i can't wait to see your your continuing contributions to the series and that means you've got to be brought up to speed on a rule that this show keeps very near and dear to its heart you can't say anything bad about polaris any bad thing that polaris has ever done has been a machination of a male writer imposing misogynistic views on a character so i am totally okay with this because i am a huge polaris stan oh my god that is that is so us i'm so happy to hear that now we are so protective of polaris we believe that x factor is a title where resurrected mutants are going to come for character rehabilitation this is going to be a place for uh david baldion's transformative art his sort of fashion deformity that we love so much and have that contrasted with the delicate love that leah williams weaves into the subtle nuance of a character if this gets rid of polaris i don't know what i'm gonna do because i just want leah williams to write polaris for the rest of time <laughs> no i totally agree so, team polaris talk i mean i realize we have some magneto stands but i just i couldn't help but think fuck magneto when he was like yelling at her i'm like guys you can't treat my girl this way oh absolutely i i think they've redeemed that moment later after polaris had her her little uh episode her fainting spell if you will i i think they softened magneto's character towards her again but i i also was like no 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 no. you don't i know there's work to be done but like don't yell at her right i like magneto but in that moment i'm just like dude shut up and I think, you know, we've actually been showing Jonah Modern Family. He's never seen it. And I do, as as a Latino man, I actually even still feel the show is so underrepresentative of Southern California's racial diversity. Other than that, it really does hit a lot of emotional things I need. And one of the things I love about it is Jay is such a good dad to Manny, and he can't figure out how to be that dad to Mitch. And Magneto is such a good dad to the many. <laughs> And he can't figure out how to be a good dad to his own kid. And, like, that's what... I mean, think about what he's put poor Wanda yeah. through. Another character you're not allowed to speak badly about. Another character not I stand. you in particular. Yeah. Oh, you would look so good in, like, a like a Two-Face, half Wanda, half Polaris. Ooh. Did you just call her Two-Faced? Yes. I'm, I'm coming at her on the show because I'm Magneto and she's Lorna. And it's my job to make her feel bad. <laughs> Now, how do we feel about Polaris creating this summoning circle with the remains of Rockslide? I think, I think first, first and foremost, the language, what, uh, what I can presume to be language in each of the ten spots is not remotely like 
Cohen and not remotely like the little bit of Araki that we've seen. So how does everybody know what's theirs? You know, I'm sure it came to Polaris in, in, in something of a fever dream. But how magic immediately knows what circle is hers. It lights up. It corresponds. I will say this. I think it's because Magic, you know, spent years in limbo. She is a master magician. She learned under a very powerful magician slash demon, Belasco. Uh, I would assume Magic is familiar enough with summoning circles that she would kind of understand where she would have to be. Uh, also, she um, she was the first prophecy, so I assume that she would she would think, well, I would have to be the first circle, and they, I would assume they're going they're going to go. Uh, clockwise because that's what you do you know what i i have seen people struggle to maintain the idea that you stay right when walking past somebody in a hallway which is the only reason why i find it so difficult to believe that everybody just knows which circle is start one and which way we're moving hold on i think i have it hear me out it's a complex idea but on what surface is the stones. Well, back up one second. Lorna doing this to me is not creepy. Lorna doing this to me is a beautiful death ritual amongst a people who have nowhere to go. If you think about islands, it can be very difficult to bury people on islands due to the nature of the structure. So she's finding a way to honor his bones that will sink into the ground without having to dig, right? So I already love that. But now she's doing this on part of the consciousness of Krakoa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I feel so, like everything is partially in the consciousness of Krakoa. So, and Krakoa is an idea that can communicate emotionally to the mutants on it. I think there's a sense of this is where you belong from a wiser creature than any of our minds can wrap around, which again is what makes Doug so fucking scary all the time because he's the only person in Krakoa's ear. So Evelyn, we have this theory that Doug is actually a giant fucking creeper and always two seconds away from becoming a supervillain. And we're pretty fucking scared that Doug is going to kill everybody. I can see that. It's a shame because I really like Doug. I really do like Doug. I like that his power is the ability to I say it's a fear. Maddie says it's a shame. It's whatever. <laughs> it's I just think he's a horny boy who is just upset that Kate didn't want to, you know, get with him. Yeah. Didn't want to program his microchip. You know, I also love how, how mundane, so innocuous, was what I couldn't get over. The, the death ritual summoning circle on an island full of mutant, mutant-powered superheroes. I'm like, how does everybody know how to stand in a circle? <laughs> <laughs> They're about to go fight in, in an other dimensional tournament, but how does everybody know how to get started? Like, that's the type of shit that I love. Like, I would love, I would have spent two pages just being like, okay, so, uh, who's first? Anybody? Magic? And that's because you were raised on Final Fantasy X and the Cloisters. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it is. Actually, I want a full issue dedicated to them determining, okay, well, wait, how do we, how do we, who... Who do I do I stand here? I I, I hope there was cut scenes of Ileana, you know, uh, stabbing her sword on each um, <laughs> circle. Be like, is this the one? No, I just like, like, no, no, yet, no, yet. And then after she gets it right, she goes, okay, wait, wait, I'm redoing it, and she walks back away, and then she's like, first time every time. <laughs> first. Right. <laughs> The most key important thing is location, location, location. Tremendous. And that is all what this is about, isn't it? You know, X-Factor is about the rehabilitation of the human psyche, but X of Swords, Ten of Swords, it all seems to be about real estate. 
And I can't help but I can't help but think about how real estate is so much more than it is. They're not just talking about a place to live. They're talking about a place to thrive. They're not just talking about a home. They're talking about a home safe. And that is what we're discussing here at the heart of everything. I walked away from X-Men during the Bendis uncanny and remender uncanny avengers years it just wasn't my x-men anymore i tried to come back for the color years i read a lot of jeff lemire's work because jeff lemire writes songs to my heart and i actually really didn't enjoy the apocalypse war and that kind of put me off of the series because it felt like every time i cracked open an x-book it was to be sad and i truly firmly believe that darkness only works in terms of light and if everything is darkness that's not a story that's a reason to see your therapist. And there is something so fulfilling about the idea that the X-Men are fighting. The X-Men are finally fighting for real estate. That means they have something to lose after all this time. They've been fighting to stay alive this whole fucking time. And now they get to fight for something. As someone who feels like he's gone from very little to slightly more very little, I'm willing to fight for wherever the fuck it is I have. And the X-Men finally have something to die for. They don't just have to die. They have something to die for. And I guess that's why the death of all the eggs kills me. And why the time it's going to take to repair the resurrection process and to believe in their ability to resurrect again is... That being in doubt leaves me in doubt for the future of my precious X-Men. Oh, and understandably. You know, I wanted to take a second to, to give a little bit of uh, credit here to the Tom Muller design pages here. These data dump white pages... The confidential amendment to after-action report following a non-standard resurrection preceding council involvement is just boring enough in title that I feel like it exists as an actual form someplace. <laughs> but we see here with the undersigns, uh, thank you, Evelyn, <laughs> um, that uh, the five and X-Factor investigations are officially working in tandem as far as the paperwork goes, as far as the follow-up, as far as the the impetus for resurrection and i think that that's something that especially as we're taking a step away from the narrative of what is and will be for some time of what has been a quick fan favorite book in three issues i think that was a really nice anchor to this first arc of x factor that we are we are quickly sidetracked from which has left me uncertain like i did not want to be sidetracked from it but i think you're right there really is a valuable understanding to seeing that they now have a place in the marvel universe the x-men universe if nothing else the idea like anybody here who watches the magicians is probably as big a fan of all of the library stuff as i am and if the library has taught us anything it's people sitting in a room talking about how to do something actually can be amazing and fascinating and sexy and brilliant and beautiful as long as julia is somewhere in the episode <laughs> and that's how i feel about x factor right now i kind of feel like there are times that i'm literally reading three pages of Dokken be feeble like i'm reading three pages of let's see he's He's into both genders. Hi. He has emotional instability problems. Hi. He constantly likes to poke things. Hi. He has weird haircut issues. Hi, hi. So I'm like sitting here reading Dokken be feeble on paper. And I'm like, I feel very attacked by this. And I need you to rethink some of the words you've put on this page. And it doesn't bore me. It fulfills me. I, I, I fought so long for people to see themselves reflected in comics by what society has trapped them in on the outside that when I am truly respected and represented by a comic taking the time to carefully consider the psychological identity of the people reading the book, I find myself humbled, humanized, and grateful. Yeah, that's what I feel like X-Men has always been, has been something for people to see themselves in it, uh, whether it be 
through uh, racial diversity or through mental illness and uh, trauma. And that's just why X-Men is just so incredible. And I see myself in characters and I know other people see them. It's just so great. Jonah, I think that was one of the things that made it easy for you to come in. You know, Evelyn, as a woman, has been famously held out of comics and hurtfully so. Like, I mean... Comics couldn't be what they are without the influence of women, without the direct involvement of women who have been so uncredited. And as a, gay, as a queer man, as a gay man, when I look on a, on a system from the outside, I know that as a gay man, I'm often told, you're not really a man, so go stand with the women. And I know that the women who have every right to say this say, as much as you're not a threat due to your sexuality, I'm still uncomfortable with you in my safe space. And they have every right to say that. So as a gay man, I often feel ostracized from uh, a sense of gendering. And I know that as a white passing gay man, I have it the best of everyone. But that doesn't mean that everybody's super great about it. Jonah, how have you felt as you're looking in on these comics? You know, was X-Men really something that made you feel I could jump in, I'm represented? Or did I kind of pull you by the scruffy beard? Well, you, you do like to pull me by the scruffy beard. But I do. Besides that... It's a conversation I was having with a friend of mine, and he, when he thinks of the X-Men, it's not something that he can get into because of that. Because he's not a, of a marginalized group with his gender and his sexuality and other things, as well as his ethnicity. He doesn't relate as much to the X-Men, which is weird because I think the point of the X-Men is that, as Evelyn said, everybody's supposed to be able to see themselves in them. But because they are a representation of mar marginalized groups, I think that what makes them so special is that they're meant for everybody to be able to enjoy them because no matter what you identify as or parts of your being and who you are that you can't change, you can look at the mutants and you can say... Oh, there's everybody of all all across the rainbow. There, that that's me. I can see myself there. I can relate to what these characters are going through, and I think it's a lot. So it can be sometimes harder with other groups that don't have those. I look at other, you know, bigger uh, comic names, even just within Marvel specifically, like the Fantastic Four or the Avengers. And I think a lot of the times it's really hard to identify with many of those characters if you're not, you know, a smart straight white man. You know, and I, I definitely I definitely can understand where your friend is coming from there, and I think that's why there's such a wealth of diversity in the X-Men, is to check all of the boxes, is to make sure that every person can feel included and represented and held space for. And I feel like there is something to not being able to identify with the X-Men that maybe says a little bit about your threshold or capacity for for empathy or, or pathos. I'm not entirely sure which it is that I want to say, but the ability to put yourself in the shoes of, of a, of a mar person of marginalized community or diminished voice. Uh, we talked about Doug, but did we talk about Warlock and how nobody is still saying anything about this? We have yet to discuss Warlock, but as we know, Warlock appears on a New Mutants cover upcoming and has appeared in a tangible sense in Giant Size Storm. So we definitely know that he is present. Do you think that, uh, why do you think that Doug might be one of the sword bearers? Um, well, he's actually also... Oh, yeah, no, isn't he? Isn't Warlock one yeah, of the swords? I... Specifically, Warlock was named as a sword. Yeah, oh he was. Oh my god, he was. Um, and it's just... I had to read it four times. I had to make sure that it wasn't a sword called Warlock. I'm with you completely. Also, he's also in Giant Size Nightcrawler. <laughs> um, it's just something that, again, 
it's this weird thing of warlock like supposed to that's like meant to be hidden but it also seems like he's kind of just staring at people waving and that goofy smile that he does and nobody's talking why is no one on Krakoa talking about warlock We've literally been asking that question for weeks now. We have had uncertainty about how that's all happened. I'm a humongous warlock stan. It's a famous thing with me that I love anything kind of scary that's also meant to be lovable. If you shouldn't make it a teddy bear, and you can make it a teddy bear, I love if it. If you listen to HTML, and you know Nico's love for the xenomorphs and how he wants to hug them. <laughs> I actually think that xenomorphs might be the cutest creatures ever. Like, think about like think about their tiny little body. You can get your arms all the way around them, and they can rest their giant head on your shoulder. Like, there's nothing not cute about the dynamic shape of a xenomorph. But now, again, huge warlock fan, and I know Jonah, you're you're kind of into warlock, but he still kind of freaks you out a little bit. <laughs> I haven't read enough warlock. I I originally was freaked out, but I have come around to his design. I really have, and I am interested. Now, Maddie, Evelyn, how do you guys feel about this major character being reduced to a sword? That was something that I did note was, um, especially we get it from Doug's perspective, where that might be another uh, person in the 10 that just wasn't named is Doug using Warlock as a sword, potentially. And just I feel like it was kind of hinted at that it is messed up that Warlock is reduced to a sword and that he shouldn't be. And so I'm hoping that we'll see him a little bit more coming up and see more of him and what his role after Hawkspox has been. You know, I'm going to try and appease something of a of a love that I know Jonah has and see. Jonah, have you ever seen Soul Eater? Oh my god, I love Soul Eater. Right, oh fantastic. We stand Mako in this house. Yeah, absolutely. So the the concept of Soul Eater is that there are Reapers and there are their weapons, but their weapons are people who can turn into a weapon and be wielded. And so from that dynamic, I would say it's not quite as important who is the wielder and who is the sword, more the connection between the two. I would say that Doug and Warlock have a closer connection than probably a lot of these sword bearers and their respective weapons. So I, I'm curious to see how Doug handles himself, I would say, is a little bit more my, my hesitant prediction. Will you stop that? So we had a problem last week in room one. So we're doing this as like multiple rooms because comic shops have multiple rooms. So there's not always one conversation. And Kyle did this all last week with one minute to go on the clock. He goes, I think I have an idea that changes the entire way we're looking at this thing. And you guys, you're so fucking smart. The relationship between the sword bearer and the sword is a defining trait of what we're doing. That's the whole fucking point of the conversation about Betsy and Brian. Their swords are defining their fo their swords are forging their forward momentum. And Ileana's sword is her soul, literally. And so much of these swords are so tied to the identity of the characters. The Cerebro sword is Xavier. Who these characters are and their swords are so... Now I just got to wonder who hell, who the hell has grass cutter? But <clears throat> like, I find myself so mind blown at the idea that the emotional connection to these swords, which is why Doug's would be warlock, would be a contributing factor to the idea of the narrative. That's a really beautiful way to remind us that in the Marvel Universe, things that you wouldn't think have a significance or a sentient meaning often do. 
As Ten of Swords continues, it's important to remember that these swords are meant to represent the entirety of mutant kind, and that's what this is all about. That's why we've adapted to our new format with so many voices talking all at once. Why? Because as long as you can hear somebody, you should be good. Kyle, tell everyone where they can find you when they're not listening to This is the X's for Podcast. <laughs> you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And Arturo, where can we find you? You can find me pounding the war drums on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Toybox. Rod. All right, you can find me living my best life on Twitter and Instagram at Hawksrod. That's H-A-U-X-R-O-D. What about you, Nathan? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA, where Nico and I have teamed up to do a cool, fun project called Krakoan Remix Karaoke. We've got artists teaming up with writers trying to do different remix variations of x-men find it all online there at uh, twitter and instagram at dazzler aoa all right and i'm josh as always you can find me at asleep at the w-e-i-l on twitter and at asleep at the wheel w-e-i-l dot com it has been such a pleasure and i've pointed it out so many times but evelyn it's been such a pleasure having you come onto the network you not just know your canon but you're willing to talk out why you think differently and that's that's discourse man and that's what we're all here for now as much as a pleasure it's been to have you we can't keep you all the time so where else can everybody find you all over this great wide web verse? So um, I am known as the Comic Canary in uh, the social media realm. So find me on Twitter and Instagram at comic underscore canary. But I also run my own podcast talking about Lord of the Rings called Tolkien About It. Definitely check that out. It's a lot of fun. And then coming up with New York Comic Con, I'm going to be on a couple panels, actually a couple with you, Nico. And I'm really excited about that. Absolutely. I couldn't be more excited about it either. We've already pre-recorded one of those panels, and it was one of those things where if this had been an in-person panel, this would have been one of those ones where we're being kicked out of the room. Oh, for sure. And like we're walking with people down the hallway, and it's just because we know the questions people are going to ask. We know the face of representation and what people are looking for, and the face of representation is currently under, and what people are looking for is enough. Right. So let's keep at As it. a queer woman who loves comic books, take this. <laughs> Right? You know, and uh, we, we, save some, we're going to save something for the panel, but we had such an amazing time. That does bring me, however, to one of the voices that has defined this show for the last uh, six months now. Maddie, I just can't even believe how dynamically you've transitioned the show from me rambling to me rambling with a script and timing. So it's been absolutely transformative for me alone, not to mention the parts you bring to the show yourself. And I would love to know, buddy, before we come back to talk about the giant size X-Men tribute to Len Wein and Dave Cock, room next week as well as the next parts of x of swords where can everybody find you online brother well, as always guys you can find me on instagram at at the basically covetous man you can catch me right here on cage club network and uh hey jonah where can everybody find you if you want to find me showing these iraqi our finest diplomacy and pounding those war drums you can follow me over on twitter and instagram at peak jonah nico where can everybody find you you can find me being so grateful that you were willing to be a part of this process with me. When we began this, we were just going to talk about some classic Claremont and then probably stop. And here we are almost 160 episodes in. We have multiple new avenues of release. This team is going to be part of several Comic-Con events coming up, whether it's the... And they're all, oh, that's the best part. We can't wait to tell you guys. A bunch of our panels are going to be on the NYCC YouTube. So you're going to be able to check those out right up through the NYCC YouTube channel, which is going to be such an exciting time for everybody. Don't forget to check us out all over this amazing 
Network, whether it's shows like Too Fast, Too Forever, where we break down the evolution of the Fast and Furious franchise, HTML, where myself and my husband, Kevo, Jonah's amazing boyfriend, all take a look at the way fiction has transformed across all of our favorite media franchises. And hey, if you like this show, it's on a lot. So you probably want to check out all the other feeds of X's for Podcast, where you can find the classic Uncanny X-Men stories, as well as classic Captain Britain stories that came up today alone. All that said, guys, if you want to see me talk loudly about comics in a very intense way, and you probably want to see me without my shirt off, well, no, not that you probably want to see me without my shirt off, but if you want to see me probably without my shirt off, you guys should check me out on Instagram and Twitter, where you can find me over at NicoAction, and that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, one more time, for the people in the back, just in case they haven't heard it yet, Black Lives Matter, Trans Dreams Matter, and you have to vote this election cycle like the world depends on it, because, oh hey, it does. The X-Men aren't the only ones in a contest right now for their survival. So, ladies and gentlemen, until we return to the hallowed halls of Krakoa, I have one favor. Keep those mutant lights lit, and we'll see ya. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.